1: Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. In my early 20s, I just remember like going on a, some sort of diet like like I would every week and starting to work out and it was like, well, this is going to be my cheat meal at the end of the week and then just got rid of it. And then suddenly the mixture of working out, not eating as much, it was like, oh, well, now I'm constantly hungry and so I'm going to do this again and again and it turned into a daily binge purge. Very isolating, pretty much living for your next binge. Your routine of going to the store, picking out your foods, hiding your foods, purging your foods. It was it was daily. It was daily. Hey senorita, really nice to meet you.
0: Have some tequila and Margaritas is like the best mate for a podcast. <laughs> thank you. I was always calculating calories and macros. And when I just calmed the F down, I found my physical ideal. Am I addicted to moderate drinking? You're very subtly admitting powerlessness and unmanageability. And I'm proud yeah. of you. That's beautiful. Did you struggle with actual eating disorders? Anorexia, in bulimia. Wow, um, oh, thank you for, for saying me, that. me, Katie. Correct. Nothing screws up a kid more than having a parent on top of that kid all the time. Kenya Moore. Before I take a shower, I would always step on a scale. And I saw my daughter starting to do that. Like, she doesn't know how to even read the numbers, but yeah. she saw me doing it. Actress, Melissa Joan Hart. I remember the first time I was told I could be a movie star if I Who's lost weight? 10 pounds when I weighed 103. Pinky Cole. Were you high when you came up with the name? I was very high. <laughs> This is Squats and Margaritas. This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's the Emmy-winning producer, writer, and booker for Fox 5's Good Day DC, Kyle Ridley. I met him in 2019 when he actually booked me on another show um, to talk about eating disorder recovery and plot twist. He reached out to me recently, letting me know that he may be ready to tell his story of recovery. I obviously had no idea that he struggled, but today... Kyle tells his story of eating disorder recovery. It is not lost on me that he is telling it on my show. And I take that very seriously. Um, It is such a privilege to share his story of recovery. We have a lot in common. Let's get into it. First, do me a favor and please just hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. That way you'll get an alert every time a new Squats and Margaritas drops. And please, please consider leaving Squats and Margaritas a quick review on Apple Podcasts. Here is my episode with Kyle Ridley. Just the fact that you're here, I said in the intro, um, it's not lost on me. And I don't take it lightly that you're telling your story here. And that means a lot to me. And I want to be careful with it. And I'm just honored that you trust me with your story. Mm. I have known you-ish, known since 2019. You booked me on actually a different show than you were on now. And I was talking about eating disorder recovery and then plot twist: <laughs> found out that you too struggled. Yeah, but Kyle, it doesn't end there. We have a lot in common. We're both extroverted introverts. We both struggled with eating disorders, and now are sharing our story to inspire others. We're both navigating divorce after eight-year marriages. Wow. We both love a
1: nap. We're <laughs> <laughs> very in sync. It's very insane.
0: Yes, and what is not in sync were our childhoods. We grew up very differently, but eating disorders do not discriminate. I know you were the oldest of seven brothers, five of who you lived with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with five of them. All, you know, all half brothers, but I've just never thought of it that way. But yeah, yeah, my stepdad stepdad has been around since I was one. So he's always been around. He's still there. And all my five brothers that I grew up with are from him and my mom. And then I have two other brothers, one in Colorado, one in um, San Diego. And They were brothers on my dad's side. My dad, long story, but he just was a wanderer, a mess, never got his stuff together and ended up having three sons in different parts of the country throughout his life. None that he was involved with. But when he passed away a few years ago, uh, we all found out about each other and we all met up. Wow.
0: You don't talk a lot about the relationship or lack of relationship with your dad.
1: I met him once when I was 15.
0: Wow. Yeah. I have learned recently when I was on another show and cause we both struggle with bulimia that there is a link between the paternal side of your family. Like if you had something with your dad, if they weren't in your life or there was something. So I just, I don't know if you've heard that before, but I thought that was interesting following your story.
1: I, I do have- think that's interesting. Cause I think I also know eating disorder so much about it is of control, uh, anxiety. And I think a lot of it for me was probably um, abandonment issues. I think that fed into a lot of my relationships and friendships and being really clingy to my mom and certain members of my family that I witnessed had food issues as well. It makes sense. It's like something to control when you feel like things are out of control. Mm -hmm. And you talk
0: about like just growing up, like getting picked last and When did you come out?
1: I came out when I was 17. That's when I had my first boyfriend. And it was really to family and my mom. And then just as you grow older, if people ask, then you come out. But yeah, I was pretty young. But I also was pretty young to dive into like a very adult relationship. And that could probably also maybe tie into some father issues where, you know, being a teenager, dating people way inappropriately older than you. Losing yourself in that relationship and trying to control it by maybe losing yourself in food. Yes.
0: Yes. Your first relationship with, was with a much older man
1: for like yes. six years? It was. It was for six years. So I was, I was 17 to like 22, 23, and he was 20 plus years older than me. Uh, and that comes with a lot of therapy afterward, too. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, very much struggled with his mental health yep. um, throughout that relationship. He, which I was unaware of until, you know, I was pretty immersed in the relationship, dealt with severe clinical depression, um, went on and off medication and, you know, being someone in their teens and early twenties, trying to navigate that and trying to like fix someone or it's, you're really not equipped no matter how mature you are. And I think with him losing himself in that, that was really when my eating disorder spiraled out of control was in my early, early twenties living with him. That's
0: what I'm thinking too. Like you couldn't control, like you couldn't make him get get help. I know you tried, but it's something else that was out of control and food was something you could control during that time. I wondered if mm. it happened around that time. I want to get into it, but if you don't mind, I want you to share the posts that you made in April because it is so beautifully written and I know it's going to hit a lot of other people that have had disordered eating issues in the past. You said, they say the difference between privacy and secrecy is that privacy is about respect, whereas secrecy has shame attached. So let's drop the shame. The secrets held for too long. This weekend marks nine years in recovery from a brutal eating disorder that consumed my twenties, nine years since I spent my days, nights, and thousands of dollars gorging and purging for hours, nine years since I was face down in a toilet at my own will, or let's just finally name it bulimia. Not to say I'm recovered, not to say I'm healed. I'll forever have this devil on my back. But it's about learning to quiet his rage, soothe his anxiety, and ensure his safety and love. It's a lifelong path of healing, more with each day, each year, and there's always hope. Even in the deepest depths of despair and isolation, and I'll never get betterness, whatever your circumstance, those tinges of hope are worth clinging to. They'll carry
1: you through. Mm. I mean... I have not read that since. That's nice. (laughs) So
0: good. And we struggled with the same affliction. Was it anorexia? Like, was there a time where you were just yourself?
1: It was very much bulimia.
0: So mine evolved. This is what doesn't make sense to me either. I know you were super thin when you were bulimic. Kyle, I was the heaviest that I ever was when I was bulimic. Wow. Okay. I looked like bloated and puffy because I had thrown off all of my hormones and just like, I've said this before, I know I'm not supposed to say it, but like, if you a fat suit of myself Mm -hmm. that's how i looked and i was bulimic so no one was thinking eating disorder because i wasn't thin yeah and how did it start for you like you just started eating too much and you knew you ate too much so you're just going to keep going and get rid of it more squats
1: and margaritas in a moment now this now back to squats and margaritas. Yeah, I think I always grew up with body image issues because I was an overweight child and um, okay. my mom struggled with being overweight. My um, I have other family members, my grandpa is obese. And I just remember always being sort of the chubby kid in school, never wanting to take my shirt off, probably didn't really take my shirt off until I was in my you know mid 20s and and you know, was still uncomfortable with that. It was, it was sort of go from one spectrum to the to the next. I was, you know, embarrassed to take my shirt off when I was younger because of my weight, and then when I was really too skinny, I was aware of it, but also couldn't stop. But it was also embarrassed to take my shirt off then. Yes. Uh, but it was just feeling out of place. I think obviously sexuality comes into play. You know, yeah. it's when you're you're bullied or picked on when you're younger for being the gay kid, or people assuming you're the gay kid. Uh, and then as far as food go, I, I didn't know anything about nutrition. My family did not know we were all, you know, generic store brand food, uh, hot dog cereal, just whatever was in the pantry. It was not uh, a health conscious environment. I don't think my mom even learned about it until her like forties, like about nutrition and what goes into a balanced meal. Um, plus it was the nineties and a lot of us just weren't schooled on a lot of that. Uh, but yeah, it started out as just when I was a uh, younger and a teen, it was always eating foods that would you people might call bad foods. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in moderation, they're okay, but it yes. was never in, in moderation. It was always gorging and then feeling bad about it. And, you know, up until purging, it was just binging. Uh, and I had heard about eating disorders, rumblings in my family. I have a, a close family member on my mom's side who has struggled her whole life with it and then other other family members and i actually saw a bit of it on TV and then i witnessed it um the sort of the i guess the remnants of it with someone that I knew a close family member who battled it and sort of what are they doing oh they're they're what is this in the toilet oh they're throwing up and realizing oh that's another way to diet tried it. And it was like sparing in my, in my teens, my late teens, maybe like once every few months, occasionally. And then in my early twenties, I just remember like going on some sort of diet, like, like I would every week and starting Mm -hmm. to work out. And it was like, well, this is going to be my cheat meal at the end of the week. And then just got rid of it. And then suddenly the mixture of working out, not eating as much, it was like, oh, well now I'm, constantly hungry. And so I'm going to do this again. And again, and it turned into a daily binge purge, very isolating, pretty much living for your next binge, your routine of going to the store, picking out your foods, hiding your foods, purging your foods. It was, it was daily. It was daily for well, seven, eight years.
0: Exactly the same. And mine was seven, eight years before I could get it under control. For me, it was like, if I ate too much, even if it wasn't like a quote unquote bad food, if I felt a little too full, it was like, my brain would be like, well, you might as well eat all the things because you're just going to throw it up anyway. So I would eat like an entire thing of ice cream or entire cake because I felt too full and knew I was going to get rid of it. So it was almost like it didn't stop. You don't stop. Mm -hmm. And then you cannot stop. It's all you think about. I I wrote about that in my book. It was all I thought about the next time I could binge and purge who I could hide it from, like when my roommates weren't going to be home. And I remember when I was living in D.C., there was a legit snowstorm. There was Mm -hmm. no one out. And I had this like moment where I was out trying to get all the processed foods from a a convenience store that I could binge and purge. And I had this moment like, what the hell are you doing? You're out Mm -hmm. here like a drug addict getting a fix. And I still didn't stop. But I did. I had that like clarity moment. Do you have like a rock bottom moment where you're like, I need to get this shit under
1: control? You know, it's so it's such an ugly disease just when you think about it it's it's not it's probably the ugliest disease it's you're throwing up you're it's you're gross it's, it's shameful it's gross. my rock bottom there was just so much hiding um it was and it was worrying about you know ruining plumbing uh uh you know constantly throwing up uh always like leaving showers running you know when you live in an apartment i moved in with my you know husband who did not know about the time so i always had to schedule it so when he was not home make sure it was all gone by the time he got home if there was grocery spot make sure they were not in the house they were the trash was down the trash chute there was no evidence of it I mean it got to the point where I would throw up in bags and transport them out of my house and um that was probably the worst like driving to work with buckets of like tied up trash bags in my in my trunk and then sneaking them in in a backpack and because I was worried about the plumbing and how much oil and how much was just because uh, I was in an apartment and so like would get rid of it in office buildings or in fast food toilets wow. and just like thinking that I was like at a backpack full of a vomit like if someone had caught or if I had dropped it like it was it was so intense and it's hard to even think about those times. Cause yeah. it, it was such a routine every single day. I remember driving home <clears throat> from work, you know, I'd be in traffic when I was before I was in TV and I would, I would hit traffic and I would have a routine of stopping at the store and buying like a dozen donuts and chips and cookies. And they'd be in the passenger seat and I'd be eating the whole time in traffic. Um, if I wasn't done, I would park, I had a side street that I would park down and eat by myself gorging just to go, into like a Chipotle bathroom and throw it up and then go home and everything's fine for a good day at work. It was just so secretive. So, so hidden and avoided everything else. Never went out with anyone. Like, what am I going to eat? Or, you know, that's going to cut into my hours of binging every night. That's, and it was so bad. And it was also so soothing at the time too. Like that was my reward. That was my, like my only comfort. I didn't know any other comfort.
0: I so relate to that. Like when I would get rid of it, it was like you went to bed feeling skinny and you're hollow, like, yay. You woke up yeah. in the morning feeling skinny because you got rid of it. It never crossed my mind about plumbing. I always did it, it like where I lived. Yeah. And my thing was if I didn't do my like thorough disinfection, like the next morning, I would like see a spot or something, or you could smell it the next yeah. morning. And I'd be like, who saw it before I got the cleanup? Like, I always did it at home. I guess I don't, I was scared of somebody finding me in public. So I was always worried that someone was going to find the remnants that yeah, I missed.
1: I understand that. And I mean, after a while, I don't know if it happened to you, but I know some people like you almost lose your gag reflex at, at a time and fingers did not work. I had to use objects, tools to put oh down my like, gosh. yeah.
0: Yeah. To get the job done. Cause it's, you can't, it's, that's all you do. It is a cycle of binging and purging. Did your family, you said your husband didn't know. Did anyone question you?
1: I'm thin she like knew, that. She knew she did. she did not know the severity of it, but she knew, uh, and that was sort of the turning point. She, uh, had gotten in touch with my husband at the time. Um, and sort of, you know, behind my back in a way of just really wanting to help me. Like, I know Kyle never wants me to like, would never, I'm sort of like secrecy, but I know he's had this problem and I can tell it's getting worse. And I, I think he really needs help. And so it was sort of like those two sort of confronted me about it and did he get help would, I did not go to inpatient, but I, I, I went to therapy and I really sort of turned things around out of fear of fear of losing my marriage, my, um, my life. It was life, no friends. It was always like, well, next week, well, the first of next month, by the yeah. time I'm this age. And I was like, I remember times thinking, Oh, maybe I won't ever get better. This is, this is hard. It's just not working. Every week I would try even like getting through one day without doing it. I I remember when I first stopped and made it through like one day, it felt like such a big feat. And I remember it was almost like a drug addict with withdrawals, like going to sleep. I was like, oh my God, like I want to eat.
0: I did not go to therapy or treatment um, because of shame, because if I went, then everybody would know. And I stopped doing it on my own. But I am checked on a weekly basis about my fat phobic language and my like, I don't say things the right way. And I wonder, had I gone to therapy and really addressed like the mental component yeah. of it, that I, cause I was like, I stopped throwing up my food. I'm healed. I write a book and, but I never, like, now I'm in a place at 41 where I am completely comfortable in my body. But when I wrote my first book, I was not there and I was still talking about a physical ideal. Yeah. How much of the therapy was like, working on the mental aspect? And did you learn anything that kind of like clicked for you to stop doing it?
1: It was really about analyzing why I was doing it. I knew, you know, it's not the simple answer, like it tastes good and it fills me up. It was like, what am I trying to fill? I think it was just about identifying the voids in my life that I was trying to fill and why I was getting such comfort from basically avoiding everything else in my life to be alone in a room surrounded on a table with a bunch of food that I just bought that I'm spend $20 on four hours from now, I might do it again. Uh, why I was doing that and really analyzing everything that was impacting throughout my life, all my friendships, what I wanted my life to be compared to what it was, what was holding me back. Um, and it, yeah, I, I never say I'm healed. I I think we're always healing. I certainly still have food issues and I still, you know, I do find it comforting sometimes to order a big meal and, and sit in front of the TV and I'll have, what I would maybe consider the cheap foods or stuff that you might not consider nutritious, but I allow myself that and I don't <clears throat> beat myself up about it. And I also, you know, don't purge. So that exactly. nine, nine and a half years now without sticking my finger down my throat and, and throwing up. So, but I, I mean, I'm always conscious of what I'm eating and I'm always you know, ask me anything on a menu. I know what I might just avoid because I know like it might just make me feel bloated. And I want to avoid that. And I'd rather fill up on something more nutritious. Some people will be like, well, can't you just have a piece of cake? And I'm like, I will have a bite, but I'm going to not feel as great. If I have that whole cake, I'd rather fill up on this and, you know, moderation, just because I know how my brain works. I don't want to spiral. And yeah, it's still such a work in progress. Um, I haven't, but I haven't weighed myself since last year. That's that's probably a huge thing. I used to do yes. it day, morning, night. Yeah,
0: I remember uh, recently I posted about it. I was going to just like a, a physical, a checkup, and I was on the way. I stopped at Chick Fil A and got like a breakfast sandwich. And I'm yeah. like, I have five more minutes. I'm eating it in the car. And I'm like, if you would have told me that, knowing I'm about to be weighed that I would be eating instead of like making sure I pee, take off my shoes, get the lowest number possible. Like you can get there. And I I moderate too now because I speak a lot to like moms. And I always say, if you make a food off limits and you call it like a bad food, it just makes it more enticing, especially to someone that had food noise and food issues. So everything in my mind, this is how it works for me. Everything is allowed. And when I know I can have it, Mm -hmm. I don't feel a need to binge. Because it's not like before I had all these rules, like I was eating clean during the week. And then on the weekends I could have whatever, or I wasn't drinking during the week. And then on the weekends I drink all the wine. I got rid of the rules and now I don't feel like there's no reason to binge because I can have it the next day. It is a process of like getting there, but now I order what I want and I check in and it's just being intuitive. Like, are you still eating just cause there's food on the plate? Are you getting a hunger cue and you're not eating mm-hmm. it? Cause you're trying to save calories. Like you just have to get in there when to what yeah. you're feeling and listen to your body. And for us who were completely not listening to our body for 10 years, like it's hard to relearn that. So I was going to ask you what your relationship is with food now. And it sounds like it's intuitive eating,
1: you know, your body. I know my body. I also, it's, you know, it's, it's more lighthearted in that I don't need to analyze every single menu before I go. I don't, my, it it filters down to family and friends. I know there were always private conversations. Like remember my ex-husband, you know, when we'd have to plan holidays or, you know, he'd have to tell his, his mom, like, Kyle won't eat this. And like the family knows like, well, we have to cook this separate plate for Kyle. Like, if that doesn't it that is not a big deal to me it doesn't like shoot anxiety in me when i know there's something like that my I, I now it's just like i'll be able to find something no matter wh- where i go and if it's if there's a bunch of stuff that i wouldn't want to have like i just will have a, a portion of it or you know but there's always something that it's never like i can't go there no matter what you know, and I don't have a calorie counter on my, my phone looking up every single food. Like, well, let me see if I can have this. What am I told? What's my total for today? I just, I go by how I feel. Yeah. It's not, there's no number attached.
0: And cortisol it, cortisol is a stress hormone. And I lived in a constant state of stress. It's what you said, where are we going to dinner? So I can look up the menu, make sure there was something that I could get. I would pre-plan what I would order. And I would, my fitness pal, I was, I, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with my fitness pal. If you're looking to like, see, the right amount of nutrients your body needs. But when you yeah. live and die by the numbers and in my, I, as I said, my, I went from anorexia to exercise bulimia. If you're familiar with that, I, I would literally drop down exact calorie counts and oh. then go on the elliptical and cancel it out.
1: Yeah,
0: And you know what? Some people, that's what they do now. Like they work out to undo food uh-huh. and that is actually an eating disorder. If you're not working yeah. out to move, move your body and you're trying to cancel out calories, That's something that you should look at if you're listening to this. So this is nine and a half years ago, and it is a shameful thing to be carrying. What made you finally write that post in April where you're like, I'm just going to tell everyone more squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this guys, I have found the magic and who would I be to not share that magic with you? My loyal squats and margaritas listeners. If you are looking for a little extra something, maybe you're going out with the girls tonight. Maybe you have a date with your husband. Maybe you have a big work event. Maybe you just want to look bomb while you're out on your daily walk. You need rejuvalift. Rejuvalift is a tightening clay that you just tap wherever you need it. Forehead, those little 11s between your eyebrows. I use it on the bags under my eyes, my crow's feet. You tap it wherever you need it. You let it sit in four minutes. And the results last for up to seven hours. Make Rejuvalift the first step in your beauty routine, even before you put on makeup. I have tried it. I am obsessed. It is magic. And now Squats and Margaritas listeners can get 20% off at rejuvaliftbeauty.com using code MARGARITAS. That's R-E-J-U-V-A-L-I-F-T, BEAUTY, and use promo code MARGARITAS. 20% off, free shipping. You're welcome.
1: Now back to squats and margaritas. Every year it would come to mind, like maybe I'll share this year and this year. And I I just felt like maybe I'm not ready or I don't want to jinx it or I'm not ready for the world to know. And I think the turning point this year was just like my whole year was thrown through for a loop at the end of last year. I quit my job. The plan was to like take some time off and find the right fit, take a lot of meetings. And then right around the time I quit my job, I was offered a new job. I accepted it. And then separated from my husband. So like it was the last week of the year, the new year came around and just, I think I was in sort of this sense of disarray uh, the first few months of the year where it felt like everything was just bigger than me and stuff I'd never experienced before. I was alone for the first time living in a house and, uh, you know, I, being going from a twelve a six year relationship to a 12 year relationship, being alone for the first time at 37. It just everything sort of came into focus about how small we are in the grand scheme and how minuscule certain worries that I've had over the years are and uh, there's healing and sharing, and I I help people share every day on my show. But I I was scared to to share, and like I said, I was keeping it secret. It wasn't private; it was a secret thing that I was keeping from people. Not out of respect for myself or or anything. It was because I was ashamed of those okay. years, and I try I I don't like to think of it as years lost um, because I I certainly accomplished so much in that time, but. It was, um, it definitely had a a strangle on me for for many years. I definitely um, isolated. And I think people, people know that it it did not look normal for many years. People, they can sense if you're hardly eating and I'm around food every day at work. So it's like, oh, Kyle's really healthy. It's like, no, that's not it. (laughs) I'm actually
0: reading Jackie Goldschneider, uh, Real Housewives in New Jersey, her book right now. I'm talking to her next month and she would just, there were so many similarities. She was like, she had like the fat-free honey mustard, but she would mm-hmm. put it under her uh, bed in college. So nobody, she's like, I had my secret foods that people would be like, why do you have that? Why are you bringing your own dressing? Yeah. So She would like put it in different things. And you're just so used to living that way. Cause you're ashamed. And then oh, she would, yeah. she was like, I'm just really into health. And that's what like, I would
1: be like too. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would pack my own dressings, my own like little food to take that I know I could eat if I was at a restaurant. Um we're supposed to have Jackie on the show next month as well. so fun. Um, I cannot
0: wait to talk to her. I'm reading the book. The book is so good. Talk about just releasing that shame because again, similar to you, I wasn't doing the behaviors anymore. So, and I was kind of like, "Who? I'm glad nobody found out about that. And then I just decided to write it. You almost don't realize even though you're not doing it anymore, you're still carrying it and carrying the shame of it until you release it and put it out. Like, did you feel the same way?
1: Yeah, I just, it was, I wrote it. I, I like put a photo and then I was just like, I don't know. And what, what you do is you just post and then put yeah. the phone down, you know, and no negative feedback at all, you know, and oh. it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's also something that people need to accept. It's, it's, it's a mental health disorder that so 100%. many people struggle with. Yeah. And I've I've gotten such sweet feedback, especially from like men who that was really a big thing because men just yes. don't talk about it. There's they such don't. a stigma uh, about it. And also it's very prevalent in the gay world, uh, you know, such focus on bodies and body image. And yeah, uh, yeah it's um, I'm hoping to open more doors. It should. I think it's the statistics are probably much more than what's reported just because people aren't reporting it because it, it is such a stigma. Yeah. I see it a lot, you know, with the same thing, like you said, exercise bulimia, there are men who are just addicted to going to the gym and are counting calories on their my fit. And that's another eating disorder. It's all consuming. Exactly. Um,
0: I feel like when I released the shame of that, the rest of my life opened up like everything else, like all these opportunities that weren't there before. It's like, I, when you're carrying something and it doesn't matter if it's not happening anymore, I will give you a hint. It is whatever you are thinking of right now. You have to write it down, tell someone and release that. So you're no longer carrying it. And then you can move on to the next part of your life. And I feel like I found purpose in my life through that pain. That's what I named my second book because I went through it and now I can help the next person out of it, but I had to release it and like, just say it. And now mm-hmm. I support other women who are still in that mess And I found purpose from it. So that struggle wasn't in vain. I'm sure you're finding the same. You're inspiring so many people. So it wasn't like a lot, like you said, you didn't lose those years. It was all for purpose.
1: Yeah. And um, also just... I mean, I met my husband I, through those years, went through college through those years and worked and, and had a good, good corporate career. But again, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people with eating disorders, they are so high functioning. They are maybe an internal mess. Their their brain is, you know, uh, ruminating and anxiety ridden. Yep. But on the outside, they everything is is very taken care of. And then they're going home and, and you know, hiding in, in their food.
0: Um, yeah, and we and hold ourselves to, to such a high standard and like perfectionism. I love that you post about giving yourself grace because I'm so bad with that. And just like kind of giving yourself a little bit of a break and uh, maybe it takes time to get there. I know you're a little bit younger than me, but I still have a hard time. I just so hold myself good. to the standard that yeah. I need to achieve. And it's not even
1: achievable. It's like perfection. Yeah. It's like not- a certain amount of calories that I have to burn every day. That used to be a big thing, you know, yeah. when I had stopped purging that sort of spiraled into, okay, well, I'm only going to work out. And then it became, okay, I'll hit this amount, this thousand calories a day. And then it just became, let's not even read how many calories, like I'll get off when I'm tired. Or if I only have 30 minutes, I'm not going to beat myself up. You know, that I didn't do an hour, an hour and a half, like yes, you, your body can only handle so much. And also it's true what they say about you getting older, you do get more confident and things just don't matter as much you you are you care less about the things i think we've been through so much it almost is like ugh, i have tackled so much i've been through all of this like this is so small a lot of it in the grand scheme why am i beating myself up especially when decades have passed it's like well i've spent too many years focused on that uh, let me take a break. You know, I'm tired. Listen to your body more, and, and yes. I think that bulimia—you're—you're you're really never listening to your body. You're listening to that—that that hunger, which is a, a starvation mode, which isn't really you. It's—it's it's mm-hmm. a like a, it's like a devil on your back. It's an addiction. Of, yeah,
0: yeah, it is. Speaking of things that we're navigating, um, both of us—I'm still in the middle of my divorce, um, but both of us were married eight years. I was with my husband for eighteen. I wondered, first of all, how did you know that it was over? Cause I'm sure like somebody that actually gets divorced, I'm sure there were like a couple of times where you're like, ah, and then you finally file or end it. <clears throat> how did you know, like this marriage
1: is over? More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this, now back to squats and margaritas. It happened very, very fast in the sense that it happened just in a matter of a couple of days at the end of the year. But I mean, we worked on it for many years. We were in couples therapy for many years. Uh, And I feel like the couples therapy was, you know, a godsend and that it it let us learn more about each other and ourselves. And with that, we were able to get closer and communicate better and learn learn more about each other. And with that, over time, sort of, we're able to open up more that what we wanted long, long term, It, it wasn't really aligning. Even the longer we worked on it, we were almost getting further apart. And then, and that last year before we, we finally ended it, we were trying all these different things about, um, what could, not to get too detailed, but like exploring other options and, you know, ethical, ethical non-monogamy. And with that, it was also like anxiety inducing, uh, for me. And at the end, it just, I remember us, um, separating for a week or two and we were both in therapy, individual therapy and, um, my therapist, as I was describing everything, you know, she said, you know, I can sense a lot of, you know, sadness as you describe all this, but I'm not hearing a lot of the anxiety that, you know, filled our sessions before. And that mm-hmm. was sort of when it clicked for me, it was like, Oh, you're, you're right. A lot of my, a lot of our sessions as a couple were anxiety induced and really about like what was worrying me and um, issues that I just was uneasy with. And even though I was sad when we separated, I realized, Oh, I, I can't really go back to that. That that's, that was a difficult feeling to live in for that long. Um, but it was, you know, fortunately, it was amicable and it was not ugly and it is finalized. So it didn't take forever. So
0: I assume you've made it through the, the five stages of grief, like to get to acceptance. I, I'm not there yet. You?
1: <laughs> you've accepted? <laughs> I've, I've accepted, um, but, you know, things will still uh, a lot of times it, it it hits me, you know, late at night. I'm actually the type of person who really likes to be alone. Like after work, I want to be alone. I love coming home to an empty house or just with my dogs. When when he was here, it was sort of like, no, like I need some space to decompress. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and so I like that. Um, but then you know, at night sometimes when I'm with my dogs or watching TV, it's like, oh, you know, that was nice having someone just to, to hang out with on the couch and talk to and and talk with when you are level headed at the end of the day and just eat and watch TV and, and, you know, cuddle, um, just in a quiet house. That's what that sort of hit me or like grocery shopping. I, you know, I'm like a nurturer caretaker. My love language is more like acts of service. So like, yeah. I would always like look for, Oh, what's the, what's a treat I can bring home. It's like, I'm just shopping for myself. And I like, I just, I just don't care about it. You don't that. have to make I dinner. Just, you can just do no, it. I have no desire to cook. I'll graze I'll and stuff, but yeah, it's, it hits at different times, but I I've accepted it. But I mean, it's, it, it's certainly a, a big loss. It's a death. It's a, it is and, but the person is still there, but connection <laughs> is not there. You can't go to them to talk about certain things. Even when you do talk, it's not the same. See, yeah, the thing like,
0: is we're, we're still too intertwined. Like I just talked to him for an hour. Like we just will talk. And then I'm kind of like, what am I doing? Like I'm muddying the waters. I learned that I'm in the middle of it, like bargaining, I guess. Cause yeah. immediately, like when I filed, I was like, get it. Like I'm done. So, and my best friend was like, you're really like handling this. Like you're so sure about it. And I was like, yes, I'm done. This is not my person. And then I was like, why am I now? Like, well, if he comes to therapy and we, and my therapist is like, you're at bargaining. She's like, you, you just haven't made it through all the phases to get to acceptance. Now you're, cause I was like, it was easier before. now I'm kind of like, maybe we shouldn't work on it. she's like, you're just moving through this phases, and you're at bargaining and you'll get there. And I'm not there.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. I made a post about that like months and months after it was like about delayed grief is what, yes. what I had been feeling. It was just like, I thought it was okay. And now it was like coming down to it. I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is real. But I mean, I think it's going to affect me for a while. You know, it's still less than a year. I was talking to my mom who got divorced. She said, even though she like wasn't in love with my dad anymore, like it took her a couple years to really feel like moved on, even when she was with someone new. It's such a, you know, when you're with someone day in and day out, that is such a huge part of you. And that's just gone. Suddenly it's like it's, it's, it's your other half in in many ways. So you're trying to now fill your other half alone. And it's, it's different. It's difficult.
0: It's like giving yourself grace again. I'm like, why am I not healed? It's like, it just happened. Chill out, give yourself grace. But what you said so beautifully that made me feel better about it. You said no divorce is a failure and you're proud of your marriage Yeah. and that you were fortunate to have the opportunity to build a life with someone like you got to do that. And I was like, ah. Better. Yeah. Like, yeah. A
1: home and dogs and you have kids.
0: Yeah. I guess I need to look at it more though. I'm just still in it. And like, I don't really like me talking to him for an hour. Like, what is that even sending? Like, should I just cut it off? And cause we're neither of us are going to move forward. And obviously we have to talk about the kids, but we'll like talk about the kids. And then I'm on the phone for an hour and then I'm like, Oh, we're getting along. And then I start, like, I, I don't know if I should just, yeah, I, this is therapy oh, now. No, that's,
1: that's <laughs> How long has it been for you?
0: I just found in May. Okay. And now I'm like in the inviting him over to watch football phase of grief <laughs> because my therapist is like, why do you invite him over? I'm like, oh, because he came to my daughter's chair and he was just standing there. And I was like, oh, do you want to come over? And she's like, like you're bark, you're trying to, and Bargaining. I hear myself, it sounds yeah. ridiculous. Like, but I still want him in my light. Like, is it hard for you to just not have him in your life? Like the, your person that you, I don't like as a friend almost, like I just miss him, even if he's not my partner
1: yeah i can relate i'm still trying to navigate that because like we'll text but it's like sparing like sporadic text and it's just like very on the surface stuff because you don't you don't know the lines that you can cross anymore it's it's weird um weird but it is it's like i I miss him and i I will always love him and when it is amicable it's almost it's almost harder because it's like there is a bargaining can we 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 still want to be friends but how good of friends can we be what can we talk about? What what lines can't we cross? And then, you know, you both start dating and then that adds a whole new twist to it. It's, it's a oh lot, it's a lot, but it's, yeah. it's never going to be the same. You know, you're never mm-hmm. going to live together. They're not your husband anymore. Exactly. Um, so I think it's also easy when you have been separated a bit, you're looking back on the good times and with rose colored glasses. But then if you really, if you really sink into it, be like, if he moved back in right now, like, Yes, we're not, it would fall into some similar patterns. Like we weren't, we're not, we weren't fixed.
0: It's like, we work this way, not as husband and wife, just as like friends who talk every once in a while, we're great. But yes, if he came back in a spouse role, I know that that doesn't work. And just reminding myself of that. Yeah. We hit on everything I want to talk about. Um, Did I see you're
1: writing a book? I'm working on it. I really, I'm actually going to have to pick your brain because I need to like, I have an outline and I'm starting to write it. um, And then I I just need to know the process of like publishing a book and pitching. So I'll have to get with you on that.
0: If someone is listening to this, especially a man that's listening to this and is like, God, he's being so open, just like advice on if somebody is in it and in an eating disorder, like maybe the first step on like how
1: to come out of it. I think for a long time, I, I, didn't acknowledge, I acknowledge that I I had everything under control when I was questioned about it. So to acknowledge that it's not in your control, it's not something that you can stop at any time. uh, Because I remember my mom would ask me about that. And also remember that if you're hiding, that. I think in general, whether it's any addiction or a bad habit, if you're hiding something from loved ones or family or friends or or anyone really, there's some shame attached to that, and something that needs to be addressed um, on a deeper level. If it's something that you don't want to talk about or tell anyone, Uh, and then I would start by telling one person who you're closest with, even if you know they're not not in that you want to go to them, you know, for help or that they're going to fix you or you know they're your savior, but there's, there's healing and sharing. And I think one by one, starting with your closest confidant, that's the first step. And they, you know, can act as your starting support system. And I think that will open doors to, to more levels of help that you're, you're willing to go to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would just say that you
0: are so far from alone. If you are struggling, like just trust that I get DMs every week that are like, you are the first person that I've told that I was bulimic or I was anorexic because I said it now they feel safe to say it. And just, there should be no shame about admitting something that's way bigger than you and that you are so far from alone mm-hmm. in. So yeah. just saying it and releasing the shame, it's like, we can talk about this now openly because we've released the shame and it gets yeah. less scary. Once you just say it.
1: No, it's almost easier to say eating disorder. Like I was really hard for me for years to ever say the word bulimic. It just Same. sounds, so bad. but yeah, it did. I just say it. That's what it is. Yeah,
0: shame keeps us sick. Mm-hmm. Like that's exactly, and it keeps you small. And like when you release mm-hmm. the shame, it's just like I just feel when anybody's talking to me, it's like you know everything about me. Like what do you? What are your secrets? Like I just feel so mind out. Like I can breathe. Like what are you holding on to? Yeah. Like nobody has anything on you anymore. Like it's out, and then you can breathe, and your shoulders yeah. go down, and it's
1: out and it's such a a weight lifted. Yes.
0: Yes. Even if it's not happening anymore, if you have not acknowledged it, you are still carrying it. Kyle, this is so beautiful. If people want more inspiration from you, uh, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. Mainly just Instagram producer underscore Kyle. And I'm sharing more and more. That's what this year has been about. Um, Sort of new beginnings, new chapters and sharing for the first time after years of helping people share their stories and being behind the, the camera so to say in the control room I just was like let me start opening up and it's it's working out so far
0: thank you so much for listening to the squats and margaritas podcast if you haven't subscribed please subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of squats and margaritas